I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to this episode of All Things Policy. I'm Anupam Manur, and I have with me today Soumya Nandan and Shambhavi Naik. Today we're going to be discussing about women in the workforce. Just to set the context. Generally, in the world, women's labor force participation rate is kind of terrible uh, if you compare that to men. And there are many known problems of uh, not having equal pay for equal work and so on. India's case is seems to be an aberration even in this context that India's women labor force participation rate is as low as 23% or 22%. And the company that we are keeping in this is also reflects how bad the situation is. Pakistan, Saudi Arabia are the countries which have a very similar rate of uh, women in the workforce. Uh, Bangladesh actually has is doing much better than us. Just to give an example, it's at 36%. China's is about 55, 56%. And uh, even Western countries like US and Europe is about 78 to 80%. Um, having 100% seems like a distant dream. Back to the Indian context. Today, we're going to be discussing about what are the specific kind of problems that women face in the workforce. And even there in the organized sector, in the in an office setup and so on. We're not even going to be touching upon some of the more difficult issues such as what happens to women in the workforce in the construction sector, in the informal sector, or in fa- in a factory setup and so on. I think that warrants a different conversation all by itself. Today, we're going to be discussing... Or in the military sector. A non-existent military mm-hmm. sector, I mean. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's what we're going to be talking about. Samia, I want to start with you. What do you think are some of the biggest problems that women face in the workforce? So, for a lot of roles that women uh, take up, I'm mostly going to emphasize on the formal sector, you know, where people have jobs where they get to offices. So, in those instances, we have seen an era of, you know, the call center kind of a situation, right, where it's demanding in terms of being in shifts which change like every fortnight. And sometimes, you know, given the kind of demanding roles that women have back home, you know, be it, um, you know, the motherhood role or the caregiver role for aging parents, it used to be one of those instances where a lot of women said, oh, it's great because the entry barrier is low. But when you get to the workplace, you realize that your health is compromised in the process. So looking at that pattern where at least a lot of women got onto the workforce, we also see that there is a pattern where especially the infrastructure not complementing in women getting to workspaces, right? A lot of times women have, um, you know, roles or organizations they aspire to work with, but just sure because of commute challenges, because of safety when they have to get back home uh, rather late is, I think, the you know key factors but once that barrier is crossed and you get to the workplaces the challenges would be like you know at times you need to compromise you know your role as a mother or uh, you know other instances that could kind of take your time away from home so you'll have to negotiate in terms of reduced working hours sometimes it is uh, the kind of time off you might need uh, because of uh, things like you know health issues that a child has or even for that matter 
even moral obligations and social uh, you know uh, social setup in our country is such that women ought to be there for a few things whereas you know probably men can get away with it so i think these are the ones which come to my mind up front which could probably defeat women from being at work spaces i think there's a lot to unpack there um let's just pick up the first aspect which is you know safety which seems to be i think one of the most critical aspects in all of this and the most critical factor until recently i think the karnataka government for instance had disallowed women from doing any kind of night shifts right and so you're talking about an entire industry and an entire kind of work which is completely has forgotten women and is not allowing women and and the reason for that is basically societies and the states inability to fix basic safety issues right and and therefore there could be a lot of women for example who uh, might prefer an, a night shift or who might prefer you know working hours at at whatever convenience they have but you're not giving them that choice and and for me that by itself just reflects of how poorly we've done in this infrastructure aspect that you picked up on and then there is you know multiple things women don't feel safe in a bus or they don't feel necessarily i don't know probably things are changing with the metro but other forms of public transport has not been safe which means that you add this compliance burden for companies saying that if you have women and if they work i think beyond 7 o'clock or so on then you necessarily have to arrange for a cab and a transportation so then uh, companies would say why do i have to take on this additional responsibility and a compliance cost which uh, you know which you don't have to do with women, uh, with men so therefore again you're creating a inherent bias in the system for companies to choose men over women shambhavi any thoughts on the safety and infrastructure aspect of it yeah i mean as a working woman i think every time i step off the out of the house i have to always tell my parents when i'll be come coming back there was actually a point of time at, in which my parents used to ask me to share my google live location with them to okay. make sure i i got home okay that's and kind it, of scary right? yeah and it's just an unnecessary burden <laughs> yeah. uh, to be carrying around right i would love to stay back late work finish i think so in my previous workplace for at, at the national center for biological sciences for example they have a pretty good system uh, especially for those who stay in close proximity uh, they used to get dropped off at home and the driver is to wait uh, and make sure that everyone got inside the house uh, and then move on to the next location uh, so those things do actually help but you're right i mean it's an unnecessarily unnecessary compliance issue for a company when the problem is not essentially of, that created that of the by company. the company yeah yeah it's a, overall society i mean first uh, state level failure or government level failure and then it of course a, the bigger aspect is that it's a societal level failure but the, it doesn't end there though is it i mean just infrastructure and safety is one aspect of it but the other i think bigger aspect that you said and this is coming from a more social angle mm-hmm. is that there are expectations probably unreasonable uh, expectations of a working woman so uh, there's the entire burden of course at the workplace which i think everyone shares but then outside of the workplace back at home it's an additional job or two uh, i would say at least two additional jobs if you ask me but yeah. and that is something that men don't necessarily share that burden at all right so yeah the social expectations are really weird so for example uh, i i have faced this a few times so a lot of science conferences will occur uh, irrespective of festivals or any holidays being taken into consideration typically will happen diwali right okay So it is a different thing to be to say that okay I have to go into work for 3 hours and come back at Diwali. But so my husband could probably be able to do that. But for me I have to make sure that there are sweets at home that someone's drawing the rangoli outside the house. You know these are things that he will not ever consider. Uh and so 
all of those expectations, if I fail at them, then I'm not a good daughter-in-law, a good daughter, a good wife or whatever, right? And I got judged on that, which I don't personally, my husband doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> but there are so many other things that you have to do before Diwali and after Diwali that men don't have to do. Men don't even, probably don't even think about it. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. it is not just like taking that one day off. That Honestly, day. I I mean, I'm going to put myself in the firing uh, this thing <laughs> line here. I had not even considered that this could be a problem. Right. And, and yeah. I'm uh, sure that a lot of people are also in similar vein mm-hmm. that they wouldn't even have considered that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now if you bring add one extra layer of complication, which is that uh, of a working woman who's also she happens to be a mother who has children of her own. I think that complicates things like probably 10x. Yes. Samya? Yes. Because the context shifting, right? Uh, every moment you're either even at your workplace, though you want to kind of switch off and say, okay, this is my time here. Uh, so I will not worry about things. But you just need that message from that child who's reached home that, yeah, I'm home kind of a thing just to be uh, reassured that, you know, they're safely back home. And sometimes I've also seen, uh, you know, uh, working uh, women struggle with the fact that oh I don't want to take a Ola or a Uber cab but I don't mind uh, you know sending my daughter via an auto because you feel a little more safe in that or I don't know something that it kind of creates some level of satisfaction that yeah once uh, this is more safer I don't know what but uh, it kind of re-establishes that component and while Shambhavi said this context thing right like a lot of things are happening where you need to pay attention and some you can let go but even there uh, the trade-offs are such that you'll get to hear from the society or your neighbors that, you know, you were not there when things, you know, went wrong. So you can't possibly physically be available at different instances in different places. But as much as possible, you should also get your um, infrastructure and family tuned into it. Like in my family, we're the first generation of women at workspace. So a lot of things, like you said, unless you're told, you don't think that it's a very obvious one, right? Like at home, for me, my husband being in the kitchen is something that's it's a daily routine. But I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, mocking at it saying, oh, you know, a man is uh, trying to look at daily daily menu and what's getting cooked and all of that. Whereas he enjoys it. But when you see the ridicule coming from another side, then it makes people think that are we even growing out of this or we're making it deeper in that sense. So I feel uh, it's about the society and the family also which should equip themselves to you know think of a template if if that can be uh, you know done so that it's easier for people to navigate through and this. And do you cook? Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> Occasional special cooking? Uh, no, at least Every. twice a week. But, okay. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Not as much as I would have liked but sure. So the next obvious kind of question just veering off from what you were saying is that there are benefits beyond just for the woman who's working. I think as a, just a moral society, we should have equality in all of these things that we should try and achieve for a far higher labor force uh, participation rate of women and that we should uh, give workplaces where women are comfortable and so on. But it also has knockoff benefits, what I would call as positive externalities. And in, in the first kind of research that we had done uh, some time back was that every woman that you hired created at least one additional job, at least one additional job, if not actually three additional jobs, yeah, right? Absolutely. Which is just that, and, and that kind of reflects of the kind of, uh, and the number of jobs that a woman actually does, which is largely unpaid as well. So, for example, you would can easily think of a scenario where if there is a person who's working, who's a woman who's working, then you might have created a job for a cook, 
for a nanny sometimes for uh, some other kind of caregiver you could actually hire a nurse who to look yeah. after uh, aging parents for example that's right. another yeah. uh, job that women does so uh, you have some stats on this particular issue samia yeah so um, referring to the pew uh, research uh, center data right so uh, there the study indicates that while women are at workspaces there is a highly obvious chance that 1.21 times um, you know the the children who grow up in these environments will get employed like so will... the, the daughter of a woman who's working yes. has a 1.2 times higher probability of getting hired Uh, right. Okay. Yes. And also aspiring to be in jobs that are uh, much more, uh, you know, aspirational than look at, you know, I just want to be in a job, uh, but look at it more as a career perspective and with higher incomes as well. And I think slowly it also wears off the guilt that most working women carry, right? And, um, you know, these children grow into a phase where they don't mind spending more time at work, which, uh, which is very uh, engaging intellectually and not feel guilty about coming back to you know household work a little more later shambhavi mm. do you want to weigh in on this right so uh, i have been looking at the issue mainly from uh, women scientists and women in the research workforce uh, in the country so worldwide the numbers are about 28% uh, women in science that's abysmally low yeah and in india it's 14% which of is course. so research has actually shown is that if there are more women in uh, in research teams then the teams are more productive a because they bring in other perspectives and also just mixed gender teams and i guess diverse teams of any sort not not only limited to gender do better uh, at creating products the other thing is that a lot of at least that products that came out of scientific research uh, which are meant for women are better designed by women and that, that is a no brainer uh, but like for example did you know that the home pregnancy test was designed by a woman uh, it was designed by someone who was visiting a lab uh and her job was to document something else uh and she visited the lab where they were doing the urine analysis for pregnancy testing and she thought well as a woman this is something that should be done in the privacy of your own house uh i would like not a doctor telling the result but to figure this out for myself uh because it is a life changing decision and so she went home and she created the kit herself and then she went back to the original com- uh, company where she saw the the lab testing being done and they patented it and they manufactured it Right. Uh so this is a group of men who have been doing this forever without realizing that there's a requirement for the woman to be able to to make to have this decision known to her in the privacy of her own home and the woman can just go and change this right so this is where women in science particularly are essential that makes absolute sense i mean because as we've spoken about before there can be hundreds of such instances where men don't even realize yeah. that something is a problem yeah. which is why you need i mean you, as you said you need diversity of all kinds you cannot have you know one set of people trying to solve problems for another set of people without even a being able to recognize the problems b understand the problems and obviously with very little clue of how to solve the problems yeah yeah, yeah. so the, the study actually showed that uh, diverse teams have more collective intelligence and are therefore smarter uh, than just having white men in the us making decisions for the entire world world yeah <laughs> i agree shambhavi in the hiring world i think that also plays up uh, quite well i mean in 
HR conversations itself, right? Like most people also think, oh, uh, if you hire women, they'll be on maternity leave or, you know, the kind of breaks that they will need uh, might slow down the project. I think it's uh, like you said, it's the collective intelligence that will play up towards the productivity of the team itself. And even in fact, for a lot of women, while I interview them, even now for different positions, they are moving, leaving jobs that matter to them in terms of careers. And they are probably just joining their husband because their career aspirations are more important than, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, women looking at a career. So it's become a job. So I need something for next two years because my husband is here on an assignment. After that, I'll look at something else. So it's very temporary and it's not aspirational in that sense. So Yeah, I think that's one of the points that we need to to think about is that we all, always go by these numbers, right? So I just said 14% are uh, in, in science workforce. Mm. And we say, should it be 50, should it be 100? And I think, I don't think that approach is correct. Because I don't think all women want to work. And yeah. I think it, and I don't, and I don't think all men also want to work. Yeah. Um, and it should be an option available for those who want to work. And I think if we reach that kind of a situation where each and every woman who wants to work has the opportunity and freedom and feels safe enough to work, I think that's a win for us. Instead of trying to figure out that no, we want 50% or we want 100% workforce participation. Uh, I don't think that is that a number game is going to change this. No, no, you're absolutely right. I think every individual, uh, whether it is a male or a female, mm-hmm. has a unique set of preferences and a unique, you know, um, ratio of work to leisure that everyone wants. And, and therefore, every person should have that. Ideally, every person yeah. should have an opportunity of choosing that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that I mean, I don't think we ever speak about having 100% employment, right? Yeah. I mean, full employment is a myth yeah. uh, that economists have created. But <laughs> uh, yeah, you cannot have that. I mean, yeah. in, in fact, then you're taking away people's choices and preferences. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And just so particularly from the life sciences experience, what we have seen is that, uh, for example, a lot of the campuses uh, that hire for faculty positions, uh, there is an age restriction of 35 years, which is like an unspoken age restriction, but we have seen this more often than not. Uh, that if you're older than 35, your chances of getting a faculty position in the life sciences is low. Right. Uh, now, to do a BSc, an MSc, a PhD, then a postdoc and get enough papers out. Uh, so I have male friends who have barely managed to do this by the age of 34, uh, who have come from really privileged laboratories, right? To think that if instead of that guy, there was a girl there who had a, one child or two children, she would not have been able to do this in, sure. at the age of 34, even if everything else had matched, Yeah. right? Uh, and I think that is a problem that policy should be able to figure out. But we just have not applied ourselves to a problem. I think the other thing is that we seem to have reduced everything down to, oh, women have children and that's why they are not participating more. And we fail, into, fail to take into account everything else that a woman is expected to do as well. So just taking on from where uh, Shambhavi uh, just spoke about how the uh, science community thinks about it, right? When women have education backgrounds like PhDs or they've done their master's degree and they've really slogged it out. I think it makes it a little more difficult and they would think about saying, oh, I at least need to kind of stabilize my career. I need to go after these aspirations that I have before the so-called the social norm saying, oh, settling in, right? And for most people, settling in means, you know, uh, the transition from education world into having, uh, you know, uh, getting into commitment like marriage and then having children, that kind of a template. So these are decisions now, at least we see, and even research, um, 
uh, Baxit is that, you know, women now probably delay the decision of marriage and having children and only once career aspirations are met, probably they're thinking about it. And we've also seen evidence in the past that at leadership levels, women slow down in their career for a reason that it becomes demanding and you know, uh, having all the commitments being met at that phase is uh, tough. So you turn down promotions. Right. My big question now, if just slightly moving away is, we've been speaking about today, right now, about problems that are not entirely new, right? Because these issues have been in the, at least in the popular discourse for the last 30, 40 years, since the first wave of, uh, you know, uh, conversations about equality and so on came into at least popular discourse. What has happened since then? Has there been any changes or will we have the same kind of conversation another 10 years down the line? Because that would be truly depressing for me. So is there anything positive that we are seeing? Any positive trends? Uh, I mean, the Indian government, for example, passed this maternity bill, which uh, at least means I don't know if they've gotten it right or wrong. Uh, I don't want to be the one to comment on it, but at least they're thinking about these things. Uh, are there changes in law? Are there changes in company practices that we can, you know, at least flag saying we're going in the right direction. Yeah, I think I would have just come to the maternity benefit, right? Six months is uh, being a mother. I think six months is a good time to settle down with everything that's overwhelming in that phase. And as a biological system, it takes time to recover from what's happened inside your uh, body, right? So I think it's it's a good uh, step to look at, you know, six months. And it gives confidence for a lot of uh, us as women to say, okay, uh, this is compatible. This is possible. And uh, this is doable because you also see the child is growing and it gives you that promise that oh okay you can look at having a nanny or you can trust a system of a daycare and you can opt in for uh, these things and even in terms of you know other things that are moving in this direction is hopefully the infrastructure can get better but at least you know with the metros and other things that are coming in like for example earlier I know if women are asking for say you know cars uh, because you know you want to drive home back safe even though it's a late meeting that you've attended there used to be a conversation as to do you really need it kind of a thing whereas it would be a default thing that the men will go for but now when you have the financial ability to contribute to the um, income of the household I think you are also empowered to take decisions of such order which will also add to the safety uh, of being at places where you need to stay up late yeah in the sciences, uh, particularly, I think the government has been more proactive. They have come up with a lot of initiatives for women who are looking to re-enter into the workforce, particularly after a maternity break or any other break that they have had to take for family reasons. So those opportunities exist. But I think we have not been able to boil down the problem of why women are leaving in the first place. So for example, these fellowships that the DBT and DSU offer are three years. Uh, and so a lot of who, them, who offers, the Department of Biotechnology, the Department of Science and Technology, they all have these fellowships, but they are for three years. Uh, so women take it for three years, but they do not have a lot of job security afterwards. So we see a little, we see a lot of drop down in the women's uh, participation after those three years. So we have not been able to give ample thought to why the women left in the first place. Again, maternity is kind of looked at as a woman's problem, like I said before. Mm. We have not thought about whether introducing paternity benefits along with maternity leave could actually help get the woman back into the workforce quicker. Uh, whether after the six months that a woman is off, if the father can stay home for, for a month or so, whether that will ease her uh, coming back to the workforce. We have not thought about those questions. 
You're absolutely right. I mean, if I could only add like my two cents here, giving only maternity leave and benefits also has a signaling problem that it's only the mother's problem to deal with the child uh, and not talking about the father's role at all. Not even the problem, right? I have known a number of men who would like to stay home with the child. No, just to to bond. They're like, after three months, the child still doesn't recognize me because I'm there only for like three Mm -hmm. hours a day. But it's a signaling thing, right? I mean, now the message you're sending out is, yeah, it is the women's... uh, uh, duty, I mean, sole duty to look after the child and so on. So yeah. I think that that matters a lot. So if I could ask now two quick questions to both of you, and I mean, you can jump in. Uh, uh, one minute, Anupam, just to add, a lot of uh, corporates have actually tried to cater to this need, right? One is you can bring the child to the workplace and they, you have an infrastructure where you can get your nanny or you have somebody on call who will come and take care of the child. Also, in an other instance, um, if you look at it, a lot of policies have opted in in terms of, uh, you know, having flexibility, flexible working hours. So you can still log in from home, but you continue to play that role. But one thread thing that I have seen for a lot of my own friends who got back to workplace after their maternity break is they were put on projects which were not probably the ones they worked on in the past. So they, they were given projects which they felt dumbed them down in some sense because they were capable of doing a lot more, but they were in doubt as to given your other commitments, will you be able to fulfill this well? Or you're not put with clients who are doing really well for the business that you're part of. So though a lot of corporates, I'm talking about the privileged lot here, right? A lot of corporates are aspiring for a, a diversity and inclusion ratio being good and meeting that by numbers. I think it's a lot more beyond that. It's not about number of women in the workspaces, but how do you ensure that, you know, you continue to have your careers despite the life-changing situations that come through? Yeah. Right. Thanks. Actually, my question was exactly on that, which is that if I were a corporate, I would have asked what is, you know, the one thing, one of many things, of course, but what is that thing that I, I should be doing in order to make it a more pleasant um, experience for women to work? That's my one uh, question and the second question is more from a policy and a you know from a government kind of angle which is if you had a wish list uh, what would be on top of your wish list that uh, policy can do to increase women's labor force participation i'm not quite sure how much this is a policy issue to begin with i mean one of the things we can do is obviously like someone said have crashes for at least in the bigger corporates um, or in bigger governmental um, agencies but it is more a question of social expectations of a woman and that needs to change uh, and both men and women need to change for that. A lot of flack I get is actually from elder women in my family, right? It's not just like the, the right. men are treating me badly, right? So the, the social expectations stem from both sides. And yeah, patriarchy is not a monopoly of men. No, it's no. not. So, and also I think women need to do better at the work. Because I think women are not demanding enough. I think sometimes we feel that we have to step up to to a man and we end up doing things that we don't need to, right? It is okay to accept your limitations and say that this I can do only two hours of my time today, but I'll do the 100% at those two hours, right? I think we don't do that. We, th- we say that ah, we'll do three hours because we feel we have to compete with men and it doesn't happen. I think that's a problem that women need to also address. So those are the things I would say that we should do. But I think one of the other things that the media can actually help with uh, is making uh, women a good example. Right? I don't think we do that enough. So, uh, for example, we'll hear a lot about Kiran Mazumdar Shaw, but not everybody aspires to be her. Not everybody thinks that they are in a position that they can be her. But there are other women who 
manage their day-to-day struggles and do exemplary work that we just do not pay attention to, right? So, for example, there is this um, woman in my fam- in my um, village. Her mother-in-law set up a cashew factory, a cashew processing factory. Um, and it is run by all women. So, all employees are women, uh, except the driver, uh, who goes and picks up this woman and leaves them at home after work. But it's run by a woman. Uh, all employees are women. And it's just a stellar, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you're creating a, uh, employment for women uh, in a rural place uh, and you're running it extremely efficiently. And we need more people like these to be exemplified right. uh, because a lot more people can be aspired to that, to be that person and have the actual wherewithal to be that person. Yeah, yeah just to extend uh, that thought, I think uh, for a lot of um, kids who grow up in families where, you know, both parents are working, the children come with egalitarian views about everything that they uh, approach. So for them, it's not like, oh, kitchen uh, is for the mother or, you know, driving is dad. You know, you kind of get a, a different perspective and that's how they they will probably grow into individuals who respect uh, equally both sides and they will also aspire to have, uh, you know, spouse who's working and respect everything that happens in that environment. Otherwise, I've seen a lot of mockery that happens that, oh, uh, because you don't have have time to uh, take care of what typically women should do like the uh, you know cooking and all that you also engage your husband into that activity for all you know it's it, the relationship is much better when you exercise you cook you do a lot of these things together as a family and don't really bifurcate it as you know the gender uh, division and and, and like Shambhavi rightly pointed out, I don't think it's more of a policy issue, but the social norms that exist that we need to break in terms of the barriers that we have. And women themselves uh, putting, um, you know, this kind of a notion that, you know, oh, uh, I have to do over parenting and motherhood is something that only I can do kind of a situation that I think a lot of times women impose, uh, you know, these pressures on themselves, though the society reiterates a lot of it. I think uh, women also don't bat for uh, good stuff in and around them. So uh, a lot of times women don't want to let go of, oh, somebody else pitches in to take care of, you know, uh, uh, an aging parent or a child. You're not confident or there is a trust deficit in that relationship. So I think if we grow out of these barriers, we'll be able to better engage with the social system and the overall, uh, you know, workspace requirement itself. Thanks for that. I think this ties in well with uh, what I think Takshila says quite often, which is that you need to find this balance between market, government and society. There are a few things that companies and therefore markets can do themselves. There's few things that government can do. I think safety, just ensuring safety is probably the most important aspect of it. If I had to pick the policy part of it, I, I, I would imagine that women's safety and overall safety, in fact, is uh, government priority. But a large part of I th- the blame and uh, responsibility as well rests with society to make things better. Thank you so much for joining me, uh, Soumya and Shambhavi. Thank and you, thanks for listening in. Thanks, If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.